Hey, Takeover Church, thank you so much for checking out today's message, whether it's on podcast or on YouTube. We are so grateful that you are here. We pray it blesses you and encourages you and that you will like, share, and subscribe across all Takeover platforms. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. God bless. We love you guys.
for remission. Commission for remission. Y'all ready to party? Y'all ready for the Bible? Everybody love the B-I-B-L-E? Come on. All right, we're coming out of the book of Mark this morning. Mark 16, 14 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It'll be up on the Sky Bible. But I'm telling you, bring it a Bible with you. Bring it notes with you. It'll change your walk. All right, here we go. 14. Y'all ready? After he appeared to the 11 themselves, as they were reclining at the table, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hard-heartedness. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Verse, 17, verse 19. Then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and they went out and they preached everywhere. While, they, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the messages by these accompanying sons. Y'all ready to pray? Let's pray as the Lord opens up today. Father God, we just ask that right now, right now, Father God, you would send your Holy Spirit into this room. That you would change us this morning, God. Ain't not a single person in here today. We came to church for a reason, God. Whether we know you yet or not, we are not content with what our life looks like. We're not content with what our world looks like. We're not content with the state of our city, our, our country, our state, any of it, God. We are not a content people this morning. We want more of you. And maybe some of us today, we are searching for you. So please, Holy Spirit, come and have your way, Father God. We just thank you so much for Jesus. The very reason that we gather in his name is presence, in his name is power, in his name is the ability to completely shift our lives today. That's why we came to church, God. This is not a social club. We are here to encounter the living God. In Jesus' mighty name, our faith little church set. Amen. Amen. Commission for remission. Now, last week we talked about this. We set it up. We spent a lot of time talking about the roots of O, and then we hit the switch up and we went to the upside down this morning. Last week we started going to the upside down so that you and I, we can begin to have our branches stretch out into this great city that we are all blessed to be a part of, that we are all called to take over, that we are all called to see Jesus alive and active in every arena and every place in this city. That was the whole point. We had to clear up our roots. We had to do some excavation. We had to get down in the nitty-gritty so that God could truly begin to use us. How many of you know if your root system is insufficient, your branches will be ineffective? Maybe you haven't been with us the rest of the series. That is for you. If your root system is inefficient, your branches will be ineffective. And the whole reason, the whole reason we have got branches going below and our roots running above is because we are in a dying, broken, scared world full of sickness and disease and politics and people cannibalizing one another. we got Christians cannibalizing one another. we got people tearing one another limb from limb on social media, destroying reputations. Labeling you based off your past. The world is a mess. 
We can all agree with that right now. It is in desperate need of the olive branch from heaven. And that is you. And that is me. It's the church. So this whole series, this whole thing has been designed for you to wake up. I believe right now we live in such a significant time in the world where how the church operates in this hour will define the outcome of this hour for the entire world. How the church, you and me, what we are attached to 2,000 years of history, how you and I move or don't move, how we act or we don't act, how we talk, what we don't say, what we do and what we don't do matters now in this hour than perhaps it has ever mattered in the history of our world. But I am confident in saying it matters the most of what we will see in our generation. This is the hour of the church to be the church. And we live in a time and a world and a culture where this word woke is thrown around. But I believe it's the church that's asleep. We say the word woke, but it's the church that's asleep at the wheel on this thing called following Jesus. If I look across our nation specifically, I feel like a great slumber has come over the church and we have just fallen asleep to the nature of God, fallen asleep to what the Holy Spirit has made available to us. The church has been sleeping on real salvation because salvation is not simply, yep, I'm away to heaven. Salvation is the complete truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. The truth will set you free. Amen. We have fallen asleep to healing. We've fallen asleep to deliverance. We've fallen asleep to truth. We've fallen asleep to identity. We've fallen asleep to all the things that Jesus Christ hung on a cross, hung down to hell, defeated hell, sin, death, the grave, and brought back the keys to our reality. We've fallen asleep to the chief concern of heaven because I look around this world and I see sparks of revival. Sparks of revival, of breakthrough upon breakthrough happening in other countries. I see moves of God happen, happening in Africa. And then I look at the American church and I see us. And in the American church, we're living like the omnipotent God in Africa is somehow impotent in America. We need to sit with that one for a second. Is he God or isn't he God? Is he Jesus or is he not Jesus? Is he the Holy Spirit or is he not the Holy Spirit? Is he what he told us in his word? He is or isn't he this morning? Is he omnipotent in one country but impotent in our country? Is he complete and equipped to save anybody and everybody in another country? Can he only make legs grow in another country? Was he only omnipotent in the Bible? And is he impotent today? What happened? Today, we have got to decide. In this message series, we've got to decide. Is he still the rock of ages? 
or has his or has his age come and gone? Who is he? Because when we wake up to the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, who the Holy Spirit is, who our God is, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who he is, if we can wake up to this revelation, if we get past all the other stuff going on in our country and in our world today and decide that what is happening in the world, whether it's allowed to advance or it's put down solely lies on what we decide we are going to believe is true about God. Can he spark today the revivals of old? Or as a city on a hill with a lamp on a stand surely have a veil placed over it? Is there no light? Is there a reason for inactivity of Christians? What and who are we going to be? Are we going to answer the call of God on our lives to be the light in this hour? Or are we going to believe that he is impotent in this day? What are we going to do, church? I mean, why do you think that is? Why do you think People who literally have nothing in another country have seen signs, miracles, and wonders. Why is it that the Chinese church is fully ready to lay down their lives just for another Bible reading under the streets? Is he omnipotent? Is he everything he said? Or is he impotent in this country? Who is he to us? What are we to him? And what are we going to do about it? I hope to answer that question today. Are you ready? Because yeah. I believe, is this too heavy to start off? I can tell a joke. Okay, good. Let's go at it today, okay? We didn't come for the play play. We came to church. We came to be the church. Yeah, I feel like preaching. So here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. I believe this is the answer. I believe this is the point. I believe what happens in this moment in Scripture will show us the causality for why we have been living as if we have a dead Christ instead of a risen Christ. I believe this moment in Scripture shows us God's heart and how the church is not only supposed to live and operate, but what we are supposed to believe and what we are called to do and how we are called to lay down our lives just as Jesus has laid down his. In this moment of scripture, you see Jesus. And it's funny. It's funny. Because moments before this, he actually reveals himself to Mary and Martha. They're the first ones, his disciples. And they go, and they tell the other twelve. They go, or the other eleven. I would say it's twelve because Judas is there given. Yeah. Whack. But Mary and Martha, they go, and here's the original 11 boys. And the Bible tells us that Jesus finds them reclining. He finds them reclining. He finds them asleep. He finds them hard-hearted and 
Christ. I'm not coming to take shots at it. Please don't hear that this morning. I am just pleading the case of Christ for the church here in America to wake up. Because it's the same thing that Jesus saw in this moment. It was his early church, his trusted disciples, the ones that he gives his Holy Spirit to to start this whole thing off in Acts chapter 2. We see this moment. And it says that they are full of unbelief, hard-heartedness. He doesn't find them at work. He doesn't find them raising the dead, healing the sick, making the blind able to see. He doesn't see them casting out demons. He doesn't even see them feeding the poor and taking care of the widows. One of the simplest things that we can do as Christians, taking care of the poor and taking care of the widows, okay? He doesn't see any of that. Instead, he comes upon his original leather boys, who, by the way, have seen him do every miracle under the sun. They were a part of feeding 5,000 plus men and their families and kids twice. They were a part of Jesus walking on water. They were a part of Jesus calling out the guy with the crippled hand to stretch out his hand and was healed. Raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Healed the woman of the issue of blood for 12 years. They saw it all. And God used them and sent them out, like we discussed last week, to do it all. And yet here they are, completely disregarding the two other disciples who came through and said, Jesus is back out the tomb. He's resurrected. He is who he says he is. He did it. And instead, those that he chose to start this whole entire change of the world are found reclined and asleep, full of unbelief and hard heartedness. I don't believe that the natural, rather, supernatural inclination of a Christian is called to be one of recline, but I believe we are called to only incline. I believe we are only called to lean in. Because what happens is when we become a people who decide that we are going to recline, that we are going to sleep on the things that Christ gave his very life for, he forsook heaven and came down here to live and die and rise again as us. And when we decide we are going to de we are going to recline to that, what we are actually doing is declining in our Christian journey. Well, the Bible very, Peter wrote this, but very accurately said they were reclining because he's writing about himself. When we recline to the things of God, we are actually declining in our relationship with God. I don't believe that a Christian's posture is ever to be found asleep at the wheel when you and I are commissioned for remission. When you and I are given the word of God, the Holy Spirit, we are given it all. He said, all fullness of God will be found on the inside of you. It's better that it goes so the Holy Spirit can come. You were made to do greater works than I. And yet here Jesus is coming to his boys. They dropped their nets. They repented. They followed him. They did it all. And yet they don't believe he is who he says he is. They don't believe that Jesus who walked on the water could sign the storm started a revival with a woman with six living boyfriends? 
They don't believe he defeated hell in the grave after he said he was going to do it. It says he found them in their unbelief. Friends, I have a question for us today. What areas of God's word that he either said was true about him or equally true about you have you found yourself reclined to? Have you found yourself asleep to? Have you found yourself declining in? Because it's that declination. I hope that's a word. Yeah. Thank you. That declination with the Lord. I don't know that's a word. I'm going to say it anyway. That declining with the Lord is what ultimately leads to unbelief. What you don't believe about God is what you will recline to. It's what you won't have urgency for. It's what, it's what you won't wake up to get after today. If you don't believe that he has a purpose for you in every day, in every season, for some reason for you to get out of bed, even if it's a simple word of knowledge for somebody at the fire gas station who's freaked out right now because you ain't got a mask on, and you're outside, and you're trying to give them a word of God, but they're like, Corona. If you don't believe that God wants to use you on a mundane Tuesday, that you will find yourself in recline to what God says you are able to do. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. Yeah. You see, friends, it's that recline paired with that unbelief that led to what Jesus points out next, and it's the hard-heartedness the hard-heartedness. They've already reclined. They've already resigned. They've already reserved themselves. Well, God's not here anymore. So I guess all those experiences kind of sounds like 2020 deconstruction, doesn't it? I guess all those experiences I had with God was thrown out the window. I didn't see a raise for myself, so I don't know if I can continue to believe in 2020 translation. Hey, my pastor or my church leader didn't text me back right away. I'm leaving. None of it happened. It was undeniable when I was in love with the place, but the second somebody didn't text me back, it's deconstructed. It never happened. It's that reclining to the things of God paired with your unbelief, what you were unwilling to believe. Unbelief isn't doubt. Unbelief isn't doubt. Unbelief is something that you have chosen. I can't believe in that. I'm not there yet. This hasn't been shown to me. I haven't got that revelation yet. Unbelief, just like belief is an action, unbelief is equally an action. Unbelief, it's a verb. It's what you do. I am unwilling to believe this about God. And so often when we're unwilling to believe this about God, it's because we are unwilling to believe it about ourselves. So often when we are unwilling to believe about God, it's because we are unwilling to believe God would ever want to use me in that situation, or for that circumstance, or for that couple, or for that marriage. God's heart isn't for divorce. 
yeah, yeah, but she cheated, so you know the Bible's okay with it. Yeah, that's a that's a, a an understandable scapegoat, but God's heart is still for your marriage. Yeah, I just can't believe that. I just can't fight. I just can't lay down my life. I just can't serve her anymore. I'm unwilling to believe that about God because I am unwilling to believe that he could ever want to use somebody like me in some sort of situation like that. And this unbelief mixed with the reclining nature of when things get hard, when things get hard, when it looks grim, when it looks like your prayer isn't being answered, when it looks like things are hard. It is that reclining nature of your, of your natural flesh body to just dip out on Jesus. No, it's getting hard. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to remain in this marriage. I don't want to remain believe for healing. I don't want to remain in this church. They're, they're, they're believing for things of God. It's making me uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's challenging my own interpretations of the Bible. Like, I don't know. So I want to leave. That is the flesh. Clementine. Taste and see the Lord is good. That is the flesh in our lives. That was awesome. He just knew I was hungry, but I got to go. You know it's over. Man does not live on Clementine's alone. Amen. But that is our flesh. That is our flesh that would encourage us to do that. And when you come into those seasons and you come into those moments and you come into those difficulties of following Jesus, what we need to do is what we see happen next. Here's the deal. Jesus rolls up. Jesus rolls up and he sees them in their unbelief, their hard-heartedness. He sees them decline in their Christianity, recline through his word. They are not going out fulfilling the Great Commission. They've already heard this entire monologue that we will get to in a moment. They've already heard it. They've already been told. We went over it last week. What are words at? Matthew 4. We already went over it. They already know what God's best is for their lives. So Jesus... He rolls up, and everything changes. But what do you reckon that was? What do you reckon everything, what, what do you reckon changed? Because we know that it wasn't news of the resurrection. We know that it wasn't news of the resurrection that changed everything. We know that because uh, the two amazing lady disciples rolled up and tried to tell these dumb boys what was going on? Jesus was back out the tomb. He has arrived. He rose again. He actually did it. He was everything he said. He is the Messiah has come back. He's Jesus. And still they lay reclined and asleep at the wheel. So what was it? What changed? What fixed this whole situation? Was it Jesus showing up? Well, we know that's not true. We know that's not true because Jesus rolls up. And it says he still found them. Reclined, unbelief, and hard-hearted. They didn't even recognize Jesus when he rolled up. Despite the holes in his hands, the ones in his feet. So we know it wasn't even Jesus showing up in person that made the switch up happen. Did you know, friends, that you can allow yourself to slip in such a steep decline, fall into such unbelief, you can get so 
hearted towards the things of God, so much so that you are hard-hearted towards God himself, that the voice you used to recognize, that you used to walk with daily, that used to prophesy over you, speak into your marriage, speak over your single season, and speak to who you are, a champion in Christ, the authority that you have over the darkness of this world, the fact that you are a serpent crusher, that voice you can get so hard-hearted towards that it can show up audibly in front of you and you won't even recognize. You can get so hard-hearted, you can slip back so far that Jesus can literally show up, manifest himself right in front of you, and you would have no idea that he is who you know him to be. So what was it that made this change possible? What happened in this moment for this church to wake up and understand, you are my olive branch. My father is the vine dresser, and right now, all of heaven needs you to go into all the world and rescue people. What was it? Turn this around. It says, we don't like this, but it says, Jesus rebuke them. Mm. We don't like that, you see. We don't. We don't like that. We don't like that because we've all had a bad experience with rebuking. We all have, whether you want to admit it today or not. That word makes your skin crawl. That word makes your spine go, mm. just like we're repentant a couple weeks ago. We didn't like when we heard that. Those are words. You know, if it's not restoration or redemption of the Bible, we're really not here for it. Rapture, oh God, this scares me. Revelation, confusing. We don't like our words. We only like redemption, and we only like restoration. But it says that Jesus rebuked them. And so for us as humans, we hear the word rebuke, and our first thought, our first inclination, is actually a result of our declining faith. Because our first interpretation of the word rebuke is a harsh word of criticism. Right. It makes us feel like that he just rained down heavenly hellfire on them, whipped them through some more tables, broke things down, cussed them out, and said, you suck, get better, do better, be more, go faster, harder, what are you doing with your life? That's how we interpret that. But friends, can I encourage you this morning, the Bible is better than you know it is. Did you know that the author of the book of Mark is a guy named Peter, who we talked about? Why is they Mark? I have no idea. I think it's this little scribe that followed around where they down for him. Anyways, that's what most scholars believe. Peter wrote this book. And if you know anything about Peter, Peter's a Jew. And what Peter was commissioned to do, much like Paul was commissioned to go to the Gentiles, Peter was commissioned to Jews. And what this book means is that it was written in Hebrew to Jewish people. And the original word for this word, rebuke, it didn't mean he slanked them. It didn't mean that he whipped them. It didn't mean that he put all their history on blast. It didn't mean that he berated them, that he chastised them. The word rebuke in the original Hebrew language being written to Jews is so much better. Rebuke in this moment in Scripture actually means Jesus turned them around. That's how good our God is. I don't know if you understand the weight of that. He turned them around. So many of us, we interpret the word rebuke as a harsh
criticism, and that's because we are, we are uh, inclined and predisposed to interpret God's word through our earthly fathers, yeah. or through our earthly mothers, yeah. or our earthly paternal figures. Maybe you had an aunt that raised you, and she didn't do it well. Maybe you had a grandma or a grandfather who raised you, and they didn't do it well, and you were chastised, and you were berated. And so you, as an individual, when you see the word rebuke, when you see the word correction, when you see these things in the Bible, your first inclination is to receive it via somebody who hurts you instead of receive it from a God who's only ever birthed you and put you first. I was reading my notes this morning. I got so free. I got so free because I just felt like God was saying to Mac McClure. If you're a part of this church for long enough, you'll understand that I grew up in Hellfire. And I've done a lot of work on forgiveness with an amazing mentor of mine. Get as free as I can be of my childhood and my past and my history of what has happened to me. But I felt like God was like, don't interpret Jesus through your father. Don't interpret my son through your mother. Don't interpret your son through your grandmother. Don't interpret my son through your grandfather. Don't interpret my son through any earthly means. When you look at my son, look what he's done. And when you look at yourself, look what he's done. Yeah. And that freed me up so much yeah. to just accept the rebuke of Jesus in my life. Yeah. How many of you guys know that whenever Jesus rebukes you, it's never to replace you, it's only to return you. So many of us, we have such a whack interpretation. We're so scared of correction, but we don't understand that God's correction always leads to God's redemption. Yeah. We are so inclined to the things that we've believed and how we've hurt before and the things that have happened to us that when we get a rebuke from Jesus, we want to cut and run and throw the whole relationship away. But when Jesus rebukes you, it's only to reinstate you. Yeah. When Jesus rebukes you, it's so that you can be commissioned and not suspended. We have this whack understanding because we have grown up in a rogue and fragile place that when the Lord wants to turn you around, it's only so that he can turn you around. You know, this morning we, we sang a song called Another in the Fight. I love that song. How, how good is that? How good was Table Worship this morning? Wow. Wow. I think it's time we get the album going again. But <laughs> come on, Sunday. When we get the building. Sang the song called Another in the Fire. And I love that song. I love that song. It's such an anthem for me. But what that song is based on is a moment of scripture with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who refused to call this other king's God. God is still they knew that they served the God of Israel. 
And it was following God that led them into the furnace. And so they got to sing, there's another in a fire. And even if he doesn't rescue us, he is here with us now. That's what led to that. But so many of us, we're here, we're in church, church across our country, we're singing, there's another in the fire. Whoa! Just like that, monotone and tone deaf. Just like that, not alone, I know that. And we're singing this, there's another in the fire. But for most of us, the reason we're in the fire today in 2020 isn't because we follow God and it got us into a furnace, because we follow God and got us into some hot water. The reason a lot of us are singing there's another in the fire is because we didn't follow God into the furnace, we followed our feelings. We followed our own selfish motives and desires. We followed our own dreams and wants. And it led us straight into the furnace. And yes, he's good enough to be in there. But do you know what the church should be singing in this hour? It's not going to sell as many records. It's not going to get as many applauses. But it is dang good theology. And your God is always willing to do it. Jesus, turn me around. Yeah. Turn me around. Arrest my unbelieving nature. Yeah. Arrest me with your presence. I surrender. Lord, turn me around. I've gotten stagnant. I've gotten stale. I have gotten sick. I am tired. I am worn down. And I have given in to my life of just simply abiding in sales, sex, and substances, and anything else I can feel, go to scratch, and itch with in this world. If you're telling me there's more, but I've reclined myself to the things of God, and I've inclined myself to the things of this world, and now I find myself in hot water. And as much as he is with you in the fire, he is. Even when you are there by your own mistakes and your own doing. That rebuke of Jesus is always bad. He knows what his sheep need. He knows what his sons need. He knows what his daughters need. Holy Spirit, turn me around. I don't taste good right now. Turn me around. I don't, I don't sound good. Turn me around. I'm not shining as bright as I used to. I used to preach mightily for you in my workplace. I used to go into every arena and be willing to act a fool if it meant you would heal somebody at an intersection on the vision. But I've gotten stagnant. I've gotten stale. And I've fallen asleep at the wheel. And I need you, Jesus, to turn me around. It may not be the anthem of the top of the award or the best song of JQ 99, but when your soul lifts up, turn me around, Jesus. When your spirit begins to shout, turn me around, Jesus. When everything in your mortal body is fighting those words from coming out of your lips, your Holy Spirit is alive and at work on the inside of you, and Jesus is faithful to return you. Whenever Jesus rebukes you, it's never to dismiss you. It's only to return you. Yeah. This is who he is. The world wants to cut you off. He wants to cut you in. Yes, amen. Somebody needs to let that sink into their heart. Amen. Amen. Has anybody received that this morning? Yes. Yeah. He doesn't want to cut you off. He wants to cut you in. In fact, he let other people cut him up just to prove it. Yeah, 
It was the rebuke of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, that allowed these boys to wake up. It's the same thing I believe could allow this church, this house, that I'm responsible for here in Greater Heaven, to come alive to the true nature of Christianity, the real kingdom culture, this new nature that Paul encouraged us to put on. We are ambassadors of Christ here and now. I believe this is the revelation that it's going to take because Jesus isn't there to point fingers. He's not there to bash you. He's literally there to be like, hey, you're asleep. No, no, I'm going to church every Sunday. You're asleep. No, I'm going to church every Sunday. That's really cool. Are you at the church on Monday morning? Are you in the church on Tuesday? Do you have as much faith to believe for a healing on a Thursday and Meyer as you do on Sunday mornings at 1030? You go to sleep. Turn around. And he just grabs you on the shoulder. You may not even recognize him at the moment. The ear, the sound of his voice might just be distant, whispering, but he is speaking to your spirit and he is saying on the inside of you, the innermost parts of you, now is the time to turn around. You are commissioned for remission. You are commissioned for remission. What I place on the inside of you is never meant to stay there. What I did on the cross, you were never meant to go back to a mediocre life. If you don't have a mediocre Christ, guess what? You don't get a mediocre life. There is nothing mediocre about bodies being healed. There's nothing mediocre about the dead coming to life. There's nothing mediocre when Paul says you are filled now with the all fullness of God. You are seated at the right hand of the Father here and now in heavenly places. This is where you are seated next to and united with Christ. All fullness of God has been placed on the inside of you. That is a commissioned life and not a submissive life. Amen? Amen. All fullness of God. When you're when you living by all fullness of God, you don't go back to monotony. Yeah. You don't have a mediocre marriage. You don't have a mediocre ministry. You don't have a mediocre restoration. You don't have a mediocre healing. You don't just get partial results. You get complete results. Come on, somebody. Christians, we are called to go into every single arena there is in this city, whether you work at McDonald's, you work at Fortune 500 Company, you live down at the Barnum Building, wherever you go, whatever you do, Darkness abides. You carry the light and you must go and shine it there. You are commissioned for remission. What darkness does in the city, the light allows. We are that light. You and I, it's not enough just to go back into our life after we meet Jesus and Check in, clock in, and a dead end job. When you live a commissioned life, that dead end job becomes a mission. Right. It's not enough to return to a dying marriage where we make allowance for our marriage to die. When you live commissioned, your marriage is a mission. It's not enough to allow for dying to happen when someone's sick in their body. When you live on commission, and it's up to us to put those bodies into remission. When we live on commission, when we find ourselves in a rotting, dying city, that 
this city is the mission. People are in death, desperate need, whether they want to admit it or not. They're broken. This is everywhere. It's loud. They are in desperate need of healing. You and I, we're not just saved to be saved. We're saved so we can get other people saved. We're not just born again to be born again. We're born again so we can get others born again. We're not just healed so that we can heal or so we can be healed. We are healed so that we can heal. We're not just delivered so that we can be delivered. We are delivered so that we can be delivery to somebody else. When you are living a commissioned life, you only deal out in remission. Amen? Jesus turns it around. What does he say next? What does he say next? He says, signs and wonders will accompany those that believe. He says, signs and wonders will accompany those that believe. That you will go out, you will preach the gospel to the whole creation, right? And then, those that believe will be saved and be baptized. Those that don't will be condemned. And then he goes on to say, like, that's the mission, right? That's what we're here for. We are here to get those saved and baptized and fully equipped to live this life for Christ, recreating more little Christ. That's the goal here, amen? amen? But what he says next makes us really uncomfortable because he didn't ask our permission when Jesus says, and these things will accompany those that believe. Signs and wonders, they will accompany you if you believe. Well, I'm following Jesus. I mean, yeah, yeah. So if you're following Jesus, then signs and wonders should be accompanying you. Yo, I, I just kind of wanted a savior. Like, I knew my marriage was jacked up. I knew I was on too many drugs. Like, I knew I was confused in college. Like, there's, you know, like, I just needed, like, my identity back on track. I don't, I didn't need the rest of this. And Jesus is looking at us going, yeah, yeah, I get that. I know you inside and out, but I didn't exactly ask your opinion. Signs and wonders will accompany those that believe. And if that's truly where we are, if that's truly who we are called to be, then you've got to know today that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he died, he rose again, defeated, hell, sin, death, and the grave, and gave you his Holy Spirit, you've got to know that you came lock, stock, aftermarket parts, baby. You are loaded with signs and wonders that will accompany those that believe. He's not saying those that believe in signs and wonders. He's saying those that believe in Jesus. Yeah. It's not, it's not, now nah, the gifts of the Spirit died with the last apostles. No, no, no. You believe in Jesus? The signs and wonders are going to accompany you. Right. You are commissioned for remission. And I would ask us today, perhaps if we're not seeing ourselves praying, if we're not seeing ourselves believing, if we're not shook to the core when somebody comes to the church in tears because their mother is sick right now in desperate need of healing in their body, if we're not turned over on the inside because of that, I don't know if we're fit for the upside down. He says signs and wonders will accompany those that believe. will accompany those that understand their life is no longer their own. My hands? They're not my own. They're Jesus' hands. Thank the Lord, which one? My time? Yo, it ain't, it ain't bad time. That's God's time. Do what you 
you will cast out and deliver people from demons. Whoa. That's crazy. But we misinterpret that. We get scared. We don't realize the only thing more scary than a demon is a Christian who's living commission for remission. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about those spirits. I don't know about uh, people barking like dogs and saying things about me. I don't know about these things at all like that. And that just kind of makes me uncomfortable. All Jesus is saying here is that you will come against things in the natural world that you cannot explain. There will be spirits that just, uh, for whatever reason, they hate you. There will be depression. There will be things working against you. It's called the powers of darkness. It's just real, and we need to accept that today. If you believe Jesus rose from a grave, Demons are less weird, okay? Chances are you've met a few, you've known a few, you've dealt with a few, okay? Chances are, all right? It happens. Yeah. And all it means is that when you live this life for Jesus, when you live this life for Jesus, demons ain't scary. Demons go into remission when a Christian comes in the room. Yeah. And then he says, oh, I love this one. I love this one. I love this one. He says, I don't know what this is. This is, this is me going over time. I hear about this tomorrow. Is this good though? Are we okay with this? Yeah. Okay, cool. Now I'll make sure we're good. He says, He says, You will speak in new tongues. You will speak in new tongues, and we get scared about tongues. We get scared about the things that we don't understand that we can't control, but God still says it's a part of it. Guess what? That's unbelief. Instead of declining tongues, we need to incline ourselves. Just begin to believe it. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it might be scary. It might be confusing. You may not understand it. And guess what? God's got it. We don't always have to understand it. Amen? I resign myself to the mysteries of God. I don't try to figure them out. Oh, yeah. It does things. Because all tongues are. is either a celestial language that is between you and God that the enemy can't understand. That you have a specific, uh, amazing language that is not found here on earth. That is between you and God, and he's doing things through that. Or, you'll speak in another tongue. It happens to me all the time. I'll speak Africanese or something else. It's nuts. And, Africans? Africans. I think Africanese is a Anyways, um, but I did that a few months back. It was in February. A few months. February. I was praying in the middle of service in, the, in, in worship, and I was Googled it because God felt like a language. Full on was. It meant more and more praise. It was awesome. But all those are are an instrument to either break down the strongholds coming against you or the strongholds coming against other people. That's all tongues is. Tongues is an instrument for remission. Easy. Then Jesus says this. Oh, I love this one. Because Christians get so weird. We just get so weird with it. Christians are crazy. We hear this from Jesus and he goes, yo, now that y'all believe I actually came back from the dead and I didn't just do all the fancy stuff on the water and all the cool stuff and water and wine and that whole nine yards. Like, now that you actually believe in me, I'm here and we have this conversation. Um, while you are living on commission, you will go into all the world, you will preach the gospel, and you may find yourselves in a brood of vipers, and it can bite you, and it will not harm you. Heck, you may find yourself being drinking poison, being poisoned, and guess what? You will not die. Christians, we go... Well, hi, diggity dog, somebody give me a cobra. I'm going to do some snake handling, and then I'm going to try some cyanide and see what the Lord does. Jesus' encouragement isn't for you to be stupid. <laughs> it's for you to be supernatural. Right. Because what he is saying here is that in this world with Jesus, as you encounter things of this world, things will come against you. You may get bit. Things will happen, and people will conspire against you, and you may get poisoned. But what the enemy meant for evil, God will work out for your good. What comes against a commissioned life 
will go into remission with Jesus. Amen. Jesus says when you are living on commission, what comes against you will go into remission. Snake can bite you. Person can bite you. Relationship can fail. People can blog about you. You might have somebody who actually wants to break down your ministry and full on actually try to poison you. Okay? And guess what? What comes against you first has to come against God because you are hidden in Christ. What comes against you when you are living commission will always go into remission. Verse 10, you can make whatever. You're at Landisburg. Sorry, guys. What happens is this. And Jesus says basically the easiest one for our get our heads around, but it's actually the hardest one for us to obey. In this next moment, Jesus says, you'll go into all the world, you will preach the gospel, and you will come across the sick and the lame, the paralyzed and the blind. You will come across people who have got cancer in their blood, diseased to the tilt. You will come against what man has said, go home with hospice, we can't do anything for you anymore. You will come up against impossible situations where it is very possible for your God to heal and to move and to put it into remission, but that remission is completely based upon our submission to who he says he is, not what the world says in diseases. Who he says we are, not what the world says can't be done. When you lay your hands on the sick, they will be healed and they will recover. You see, friends, we are the lifeline. We are the branches to the broken and we are the rope to the drowning. Darkness. 
was always called to submit to the light. God never said dark and the darkness happened. Darkness was just void. But he did say light and light happened. And then Jesus would later go on to say that you and I were the light now. You and I. Darkness does what the light allows. Darkness does what the light doesn't believe. Darkness goes into places that the light is too afraid to go to. Darkness can choke out the light, and the light is not living a commissioned life. You see, friends, you can stand as we get to this last song right quick. We're going to sing the blessing. Thank you. 